You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Election College, Episode 195, John F. Kennedy. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Jason, we did an episode about JFK and his election and uh, some subsequent things, of course, as well, a long time ago, way back in the the 50s, the episodes. And, well, we thought we'd go ahead and give it another run since it will soon be the 100th birthday of John Fitzgerald Kennedy. And, hey, let's talk about him a little more in depth. Yeah, you're going to be hearing a lot this weekend, probably, about the 100th birthday, so... Why not us? That's right, because we're special, too. (laughs) (laughs) There are a lot of things that I think get forgotten about Kennedy, aren't there? Because we hear so much about the assassination. We hear about his election, and there was some controversy centered around that. There was the Bay of Pigs. There are all the conspiracy theories behind his death. But... We don't hear a whole lot about his life, and especially his life before he became president. Yeah, absolutely. So let's start at the very beginning. Uh, JFK was born in Brookline, Massachusetts, and you know his parents are pretty wealthy. His grandfather was a mayor of Boston. Uh, his uh, other grandfather was also a politician. And just a generation before that, everybody was immigrants from Ireland, and well, it's a big family. He's got seven younger siblings. He's got one older sibling. So there are nine of them all together. Yeah. And if you remember some of our episodes that we did in the early elections, especially, well, not early elections, but especially after the Civil War and you have this influx of immigrants coming in from Ireland, it was not really cool to be an Irish immigrant (laughs) in the late 19th century. But what ends up happening is you've got all of these organizations uh, like Tammany Hall. We've done an episode about that, um, that have really propped up the immigrants. And by the time the early, do we say mid early 20th century rolls around, the Democrats have embraced the Irish immigrants and the Kennedy family really is at the forefront of this where, hey, it's really cool to be an Irish immigrant at this point. So they live in Brookline for about the first 10 years of JFK's life. And his dad is off in New York a lot and also in Hollywood a lot. And uh, it turns that they need to end up moving to the Bronx and they 
pick up the family from Massachusetts, take away that strong Boston background, and go ahead and move on down to New York, where uh, this is where they've already spent a lot of time uh, just from, you know, hey, they're wealthy, so they can go wherever they want and do whatever they want, basically. And uh, JFK enrolls in a special school where he is uh, a private school for boys. And he, of course, is going to get the best education that there is. Yeah, so he attends um, private schools in Connecticut and and then really lives in the shadow of his older brother, Joe Jr. And we're going to see this shadow uh, cast over JFK's life, pretty much. Not necessarily in a bad way, but Joe Jr. was kind of the all-star Kennedy. You know, he's the guy who seemed to be more politically adept than his younger brother. But, uh, well, we'll find out more about what happens later on. But um, JFK um, has some health issues. As early as 18 years old, he has an appendectomy, and that removes him from school um, for a little while um, so he can recuperate. Yeah, so he had a lot of health problems, as a matter of fact, and he was hospitalized pretty frequently. Uh, the doctors at one point thought he might have had leukemia. Uh, he was sent to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and uh, turns out you know, he, he didn't end up having leukemia, but he did have colitis. And later on, he ends up making a trip over to London, and he'd gone with his parents and his sister, and he was planning on doing some studying there, of course. And turns out he can't because he's sick again and he ends up going back to Princeton University and being enrolled there and they continue to well, he's hospitalized and they study him some more and they he hospitalize him and he studies some more and uh, he, he has gastrointestinal issues and uh, he just kind of has a rough go of it for a long time when he's a, a very young man uh, being hospitalized and not ever really 100% knowing what's going on with him. Yeah, so he does have to withdraw from Princeton. So after leaving Princeton University, after only attending for two months because of a gastrointestinal issue, he, the next year, enrolls at Harvard, and that's where his dad went. He was kind of seen as the all-American guy. He tried out for several different athletic teams. He did earn a spot on the swimming team, and he was a member of the sail team. So in 1938, the young sailor, (laughs) JFK, goes with his dad and his older brother, Joe Jr., uh, to sail in France, and he's hanging out there. And one really crazy thing that I learned while in London, Ben, was that his dad... Joe Kennedy served as the ambassador to England for a while. And this was kind of insulting to Joe Kennedy because, well, the Kennedys were Irish. And here FDR appoints him as the ambassador to the court of St. James. And that wasn't really cool <laughs> to do. But uh, Joe Kennedy was like, sure, I'll, I'll do it because I respect the president more the office of the president rather than the man himself. But anyway, that's for another episode, probably. Yeah. <laughs> so as time goes on, Kennedy becomes a bit more supportive of 
the United States intervening in World War II, which, of course, we ultimately did. But his, uh, his father thinks, no, we should be more of an isolationist country. And this turns into his father being dismissed as the ambassador to the UK. So the Roosevelt families and the Kennedy families are no longer best of buddies. And then in 1940, uh, JFK graduates from Harvard. He gets a Bachelor of Arts in Government and, of course, studies uh, international affairs as well while he's there. And he starts to go to Stanford Graduate School of Business and uh, ends up leaving the next year to help his father uh, write uh, some, some stories and a memoir of his time as an American ambassador in the U.K., and then after that, he decides, hey, I think I'm going to enter into the U.S. Navy Reserve. Yeah, so just when you think that young JFK has all of these issues medically, he enrolls at the Army's Officer Candidate School, but he becomes disqualified because he's got lower back issues. And he starts a training regimen to strengthen his back, so the director of the Office of Naval Intelligence, who was a friend of Joseph Kennedy, says, okay, we'll work out this deal. We will have JFK commissioned as an ensign in the Navy, and he will join the Office of Naval Intelligence in Washington. So the young JFK joins the Navy. He is assigned to the ONI office at Charleston, South Carolina, and he attends the Naval Reserve Officer Training School later on in Chicago. So he's a Navy man now. So later on, JFK is on a boat and they end up spotting a Japanese destroyer and they attempt to turn around and get into a position where they're able to attack them, but they get rammed and cuts the boat in half and a couple of the crew members on board lose their lives. And Kennedy and about 10 others who are still alive, uh, he ends up rallying the troops and they swim about three miles to the nearest uh, island. And he ends up, of course, getting uh, injured again. He hurts his back even more. And um, he ends up helping to rescue a, a couple individuals who were not able to get there themselves. And, you know, this is one of those things that just kind of shows his determination as we move forward and his um, his bravery, I guess you could say, as well, uh, where he was able to take leadership and uh, lead his fellow crew members to safety. Yeah. Actually, Kennedy, I didn't realize this, Ben, he's the only elected president who is the recipient of the Purple Heart. And uh, mm -hmm. somebody asked him in 1945, you know, how did he become a war hero, JFK? And he said, quote, it was easy. They cut my PT boat in half. So <laughs> sometimes uh, heroism is something that you just stumble upon when you're on the road to duty. But uh, it was also in 1944 where his brother, Joe Jr., was killed after his plane was destroyed when the bombs on the plane detonated prematurely so he was flying over the english channel and this unfortunate event happened so that is a big event of course for the kennedy family but also for the political aspect of jfk's life 
so JFK starts to move into his political career here. And you got to remember that Dad is, well, I don't want to say controlling, but he's definitely kind of pushing the buttons for the boys. And uh, his dad kind of says, hey, you're going to be president, just so you know. Just, just to make sure you're aware of that. Uh, uh, of course, you know he had, of course, wanted the the older son Joe to be to be the president at one point. So he, he ends up goading him into being in, on the House of Representatives. There was an individual, James Michael Curley. Uh, he was actually kind of talked into leaving his seats in the 11th congressional district in Massachusetts to become mayor of Boston, and uh, of course. JFK's dad had a little bit to do with that, and then JFK had a little bit to uh, do with his son running for the office and financing that as well. And so he ends up defeating the Republican opponents, gets 73% of the vote, which is just insane, mm-hmm. and is one of the um, – there's a few veterans from World War II that get elected to Congress that year. And he serves in the House of Representatives for about six years, so a term, and serves on multiple different committees and stuff like that until he decides he wants to run for the Senate. Yeah, so the young JFK's aspirations to become a senator, that happened pretty quickly after he was elected to the House in 1947. So as early as two years after Kennedy is elected to the House of Representatives, He begins to eye the Senate. Now, that election isn't going to happen until 1952, but you're going to need to run and get up pretty early in the morning when you are going against a three-term incumbent. And that incumbent being Henry Cabot Lodge Jr., who already has a national profile, and he's a pretty powerful Republican. So what ends up happening is Robert Kennedy, you know, JFK's younger brother, comes to the aid of his older brother and starts campaigning and starts influencing people to vote for JFK in 1952. What what else is going on in 1952? Well, Eisenhower is going to win Massachusetts big time in that presidential election. You can go back and listen to that somewhere in, what, episode 56-ish, somewhere around there we talk about that election. The good general, Eisenhower, carries Massachusetts by a huge margin, but Cabot Lodge loses to Kennedy by 70,000 votes in the Senate run, which is huge when you think about it. For an incumbent who is a Republican, Republicans are going to win the presidency big time in Massachusetts that year. JFK pulls it off. You know, Jason, this is kind of off topic, but until probably about I don't know, five or eight years ago, I didn't realize that there was a almost a hierarchy between the rep, being a representative, a, uh, you know, being in the House and being in the Senate. Yeah. I just, I think my, I think my teachers did me a disservice because they always taught us that you know these people are just they're just different types of the same thing. They're so that we can have equal representation in the states and and then also also you know representation based on your population. I never really realized that it's more prestigious. And and I mean, maybe it wasn't meant to be this way, of course, but it's more prestigious to be a senator than it is uh, in the House. Um, that's just, it's just interesting to me. I've never really grasped that until, well, I was in my 20s, obviously. So, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, the thing is, too, with that is I don't think that was the, I think the original intent was it 
was for there to be a little bit of a hierarchy and there still right. is that hierarchy but it's diminished quite a bit because of the whole way we're set up now where senators are elected by the general population i mean i've seen that mm-hmm. happen where you know a person runs for governor they lose and then the next time a senate race is up they decide hey i'm going to run for senate and then they win right yeah i don't think it was originally supposed to be that dare I say, easy (laughs) to get elected. (laughs) Right, right. Well, anyway, back to Kennedy. He undergoes a few different spinal operations over the next couple of years, and he's actually absent from the Senate a lot. And at one point, he is so ill that they bring in uh, priests and do Catholic last rites on him. And uh, he ends up publishing a book during this time and goes around to different senators who... Uh, kind of have personal beliefs that they put in front of their careers and he ends up winning the Pulitzer Prize for a biography as well and uh, you know of course this book wasn't really written by JFK it just had a lot of his influence in it but that's beside the point in 1956 he ends up being able to give the nominating speech for Adlai Stevenson and uh, he's the presidential nominee for the 1956 Democratic National Party and uh, well, it's pretty, it's pretty indicative of what your future is going to hold. It seems if you are able to give the nominating speech for someone in your party. Uh, you know, if you look back through all the people who have given nominating speeches for other individuals, a lot of them have gone on to become president themselves. So maybe this is a bit of a telltale sign for things to come. Yeah, and hey, Ben, while we're talking about books and. Uh-huh. JFK's book Profiles and Courage that book really helps him <laughs> gain bipartisan support because oh, yeah. what he does in that is he uh, talks about different figures um, political figures as being inspirational and well being courageous and so what that helps him with is when he later runs for president he's already given some kudos to Republicans, as well as, of course, Democrats. So this young senator, who happens to be a a Northeastern Democrat, is going to really emerge as somebody who is going to have wide appeal because he's praising people who may not necessarily agree with all of his politics. In the book, uh, this book just being released by Simon & Schuster called The Road to Camelot, Um, it was written by Thomas Oliphant and Curtis Wilkie. I would encourage everybody to pick up a copy of this. It talks about Kennedy's five-year pursuit of the presidency and some of the events leading up to uh, him taking the oath in the early 60s. Anyway, Profiles and Courage, uh, Kennedy's book, is probably what wins him the presidential election. That could be debated, but it does cause him to um, emerge as somebody who is pretty popular. Oh, yeah, for sure. It, it never hurts to have a good speechwriter uh, who's <laughs> able to able to also write your book under your name. Um, so one of the things that is a... Uh, you know, a big focal point for Kennedy while he's in the Senate 
is the Civil Rights Act of 1957. Uh, President Eisenhower had pushed this forward, and Kennedy actually cast uh, what's called a procedural vote on the Civil Rights Act. And he wasn't a huge fan of every part of it, but he did push certain parts of it forward pretty pretty hard. He's kind of criticized for tearing apart the way that it ends up being passed, but overall, he's one of the main voices that really get that Civil Rights Act through, uh, even with a few tweaks, you know, to his to his liking or or the the party's liking, I guess you could say. Yeah. So what ends up happening is the compromise bill, um, which has the support of Kennedy. It passes in September of 1957. The next year. Uh, Kennedy is reelected in his Senate bid, and he wins by a huge margin. I mean, it's almost 900,000 votes, and that was the largest ever victory in Massachusetts politics. So Kennedy's press secretary, Robert Thompson, creates this film called The U.S. Senator John F. Kennedy Story. And in this film... It's kind of like a day-in-the-life documentary of what Kennedy is all about. This, along with the book, Profiles and Courage, really helps Kennedy as he begins his preparation to run for president in 1960. Now, one interesting thing that's going on around this time is Joseph McCarthy. He is going after the communists, and this is a delicate balance because... The Kennedys are supporters of McCarthy, but McCarthy isn't exactly the most popular guy in the world. So on January 2nd of 1960, really early along in the uh, cycle of things, JFK announces that he is a candidate for the Democratic presidential nomination. And of course, what are you going to have when a young man Uh, comes forward and says, hey, I want to be the president, a lot of people question his youth and his experience, or maybe lack of experience is a better word. But, you know, he's charming. He's attractive. He's eloquent. He's got money. So he's uh, really, a lot of people are interested in what he has to say. And like we've mentioned, you know, the the book he has and uh, the fact that he's a notable figure really helps garner him a lot of support from the beginning. And the interesting thing is, and we talked about this back in the first episode we did about the election of 1960, Kennedy has a lot of opposition simply because he's Catholic, and a lot of Americans have really strong anti-Catholic attitudes, and uh, Kennedy has to kind of come out and say, well, and not that he didn't believe this, but he comes out and says, no, look, I, I believe in the separation of church and state, and you know, the, most people are worried that he's going to be answering to the Pope instead of the American people because of um, being Catholic. So he really does face a a big challenge in this. And this is, of course, the the first time we have a, well, spoiler, uh, Catholic president as well. Yeah. Some other fun things to know about Kennedy. And uh, he's really the president who uses the media. And I think that's where there is a parallel between Kennedy and Obama. A lot of people do make comparisons between the two. Both are Democrats, of course. Both are young when they come on the national scene. But the use of media, you know, Obama used 
Facebook and Twitter. And that really helped him garner support just with the everyday person, especially young people. Well, Kennedy used the media and I didn't realize this, but in researching this episode, Ben, that Kennedy kind of served as a producer for a movie. <laughs> uh, there was um, uh, this movie called PT-109, uh, which was based on the sinking of his boat. And you remember back in World War II, um, Kennedy wanted Cliff Robertson to play uh, himself, um, but the First Lady wanted Beatty, uh, Warren Beatty to play the role of Kennedy. Uh, what ends up happening is Kennedy's choice, uh, Robertson, um, appears in the movie. And that was just another way that JFK used the media. So even with all of that going for him, so he's got the media, he's got the youngness, he's got the book, uh, he's got the show that they produced about his life in the Senate. He still goes into the convention with more delegates than anybody else, but not necessarily enough to guarantee he's going to win the nomination. Well, long story short, he ends up winning the nomination, and he ends up choosing Lyndon B. Johnson as his vice presidential nominee. And, you know, he's smart. He figures that the, he, the guy, he's from Texas, he's going to help him win support in the South. And starts campaigning and going all along, running up against Republican nominee Richard Nixon, who is, uh, well, he's the current vice president, which, of course, is a really hard battle to overcome. Yeah, and as we aptly titled episode 59 of the podcast, A Clean Shave Wins an Election, <laughs> this was the case where, uh, where you have Kennedy looking sharp in these debates that he has with Nixon. And Nixon, he looked a little rough. And this really helps young Kennedy look like, well, the face of America, the face of the new America. So Kennedy continues to campaign and continues to gain momentum over Nixon. Nixon and Kennedy go head to head at the polls on November 8th of 1960. And in one of the closest elections, of the 20th century, or really any election in general, Kennedy wins by uh, just two-tenths of one percent. So, pretty crazy turn of events. Yeah, lots of conspiracy theories going on uh, to this day, where people are saying, hey, maybe something was uh, thrown a little bit, maybe some ballots were added, maybe some people who shouldn't be voting voted, maybe some people who are not alive voted. Um, as close as if Texas and Illinois would have swung to Nixon, Nixon would have been the president. But such wasn't the case. Um, we all know a lot about uh, Kennedy's time in office everything from the Cuban Missile Crisis to civil rights to the creation of the Peace Corps. Uh, Kennedy does a lot in such a short period of time of being president. He was only president for two and a half years. Yeah, and of course we 
have already mentioned the assassination and we of course we did episodes entirely about uh, the election of and the assassination of JFK so we won't take time to go into that now um, but with it being the month week whatever of his 100th birthday we thought it would be a great idea to do a episode on his early life and the things that we don't normally hear about as much when it comes down to JFK and all presidents for that matter yeah so uh, while you're thinking about JFK this week, I would encourage you to pick up this copy again of The Road to Camelot by Thomas Oliphant and Curtis Wilkie. It, it's fascinating then because a lot of this gets glossed over, but uh, the book starts with um, a couple of events that happened in 1955 when Senator Lyndon B. Johnson has a heart attack and then... That is following President Eisenhower having a heart attack just a few weeks earlier. And what that kind of puts on display is the establishment, the Democrats and the Republicans, some of their top men were physically weak. And there was a need for youth. And Kennedy uh, takes advantage of that, his youth works to his advantage and the book keeps on talking about how does this young guy uh, from Massachusetts emerge as the successor to a very popular Dwight D. Eisenhower so pick up a copy yeah and I'll throw a little link to the uh, that book The Road to Camelot in the notes so it's easy for everybody to check it out if you want to if not no worries and while you uh, click, after you click that link, go ahead and go over to iTunes where you can leave us a review. It's very helpful and means a lot to us. You can go over to electioncollege.com slash review. It'll take you right there and you can tell the whole world what you think about us, as long as it's good. <laughs> right. And uh, speaking of telling the whole world about supporting the Election College podcast, we want to thank all of you who have become patrons of our program. You can join the elite crew who supports the podcast uh, for as little as 11 cents an episode. That's a dollar a month. Head over to electioncollege.com slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N where you can help support us. Hey, as a bonus, this is for the people who stuck through our, our rambling um, or if, if they care. I live in Butler, Pennsylvania and there's actually um, a picture, and there's there was an event where whenever JFK and LBJ were campaigning, they came right through Butler, and there's pictures of it. And I just found out this like two weeks ago. Uh, there's pictures of it in one of the local stores. So very cool. Yeah, very interesting. So right where I live. Not that it matters, but <laughs> the little That's hashtag all. HT to the Butler. That's right. Thanks everybody, and we'll talk to you next time. Save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. 
Save